Section 11 of Tish, The Chronicle of Her Excursions and Escapades, by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 I am not trying to defend myself. I never had the enthusiasm of the other two, but I rather liked the idea, and I did restrain them. It was my suggestion, for instance, that we wear sandals without stockings, instead of going in our bare feet, which was a good thing, for the first day out Aggie stepped into a hornet's nest, and I made out the lists. The idea, of course, is not how much one can carry, but how little. The young woodsman told exactly how to manage in the woods if one were lost there, and had nothing in the world but a bootlace and a wire hairpin. With the hairpin one could easily make a fair fish hook, and with a bootlace or a good hemp cord one could make a rabbit snare. So you see, Tish explained, there's fish and meat with no trouble at all, and there will be berries and nuts. That's a diet for a king. I was making a list of the necessaries at the time, and under bootlaces and hairpins I put down spade. What in heaven's name is the spade for, Tish demanded. You've got to dig bait, haven't you? Tish eyed me with disgust. Grasshoppers, she said tersely. There was really nothing Tish was not prepared for. I should never have thought of grasshoppers. The idea is simply this, observed Tish. We have surrounded ourselves with a thousand and one things we do not need and would be better without. Houses. Foolish clothing, electric light, idiotic servants. Hannah, get away from that door. Rich foods, furniture, and crowds of people. We've developed and cared for our bodies instead of our souls. What we want is to get out into the woods and think. To forget those pampered bodies of ours and to let our souls grow and assert themselves. We decided finally to take a blanket apiece, rolled on our shoulders, and Tish and I each took a strong knife. Aggie, instead of the knife, took a pair of scissors. We took a small bottle of blackberry cordial for emergencies, a cake of soap, a salt cellar for seasoning the fish and rabbits, two towels, a package of court plaster, Aggie's hay fever remedy, a bottle of oil of pennyroyal to use against mosquitoes, and a large piece of canvas, light but strong, cut like the diagram. Tish said it was the regulation Indian teepee, and that a squaw could set one up in an hour and have dinner cooked inside it in thirty minutes after. She said she guessed we could do it if an Indian squaw could, and that after we'd cut the poles once, we could carry them with us if we wished to move. She said the tent ought to be ornamented, but she had had no time, and we could paint designs on it with coloured clay in the woods when we had nothing more important to do. It made a largish bundle, but we did not intend to travel much. We thought we could find a good place by a lake somewhere and put up the tent, and set a few snares and locate the nearest berry bushes and mushroom patches, and then, while the rabbits were catching themselves, we should have time to get acquainted with our souls again. Tish put it in her terse manner most intelligently. We intend to prove, she stated to Mrs. Ostermeyer, the minister's wife, who came to call and found us all sitting on the floor trying to get used to it, 
for, of course, there would be no chairs. We shall prove that the trappings of civilization are a delusion and a snare. We shall bring back men's sana in corpore sano. The minister's wife thought this was a disease, for she said, I hope not, I'm sure, very hastily. We shall make our own fire and our own shelter, said Tish from the floor. We shall wear one garment, loose enough to allow entire freedom of movement. We shall bathe in nature's pools and come out cleansed. On the Sabbath we shall attend divine service under the Gothic arches of the trees, read sermons in stones, and instead of that whining tenor in the choir, we shall listen to the birds singing praises overhead. Mrs. Ostermeyer looked rather bewildered. I'm sure I hope so, she said vaguely. I don't like camping myself. There are so many bugs. As Tish said, some ideas are so large that the average person cannot see them at all. We had fixed on Maine. It seemed to combine all the necessary qualities, woods and lakes, rabbits, game and fish, and solitude. Besides, Aggie's hay fever is better the farther north she gets. On the day we were leaving, Mr. Ostermeyer came to see us. I, I really must protest, ladies, he said. That sort of thing may be all right for savages, but... Are we not as intelligent as savages? Tish demanded. Primitive people are inured to hardships, and besides, they have methods of their own. They can make fire. So can I retorted tish any fool can make a fire with a rubbing stick it's been done in thirty-one seconds if you would only take some matches he wailed and a good revolver miss letitia and you must pardon this but i have your well-being at heart if i could persuade you to take along some uh, flannels and warm clothing clothing said tish loftily is a matter of habit mr ostermeyer I think he got the idea from this, that we intended to discard clothing altogether, for he went away almost immediately looking rather upset, and he preached on the following Sunday from Consider the Lilies of the Field. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. We left on Monday evening, and by Tuesday at noon we were at our destination, as far as the railroad was concerned. Tish had a map with the lake we'd picked out, and we had figured that we'd drive out to within ten miles or so of it, and then send the driver back. The lake was in an uninhabited neighborhood with the nearest town twenty-five miles away. We had one suitcase containing our blankets, sandals, short dresses, soap, hairpins, salt box, knives, scissors, and a compass, and the leather thongs for rabbit snares that we had had cut at a harness shop. In the other suitcase was the teepee. We ate a substantial breakfast at Tish's suggestion, because we expected to be fairly busy the first day, and there would be no time for hunting. We had to walk ten miles, set up the tent, make a fire, and gather nuts and berries. It was about that time, I think, that I happened to recall that it was early for nuts. Still, there would be berries, and Tish had added mushrooms to our menu. We found a man with a spring wagon to drive us out, and Tish showed him the map. I guess I can get you out that way, he said, 
but I ain't heard of no camp up that direction. Who said anything about a camp, snapped Tish. How much to drive us fifteen miles in that direction? Fifteen miles? Well, about five dollars, I think. How much to drive us fifteen miles without thinking? Ten dollars, said the man, and as he had the only wagon in the town, we had to pay it. It was a lovely day, although very warm. The morning sun turned the woods to fairy-like glades. Tish sat on the front seat, erect and staring ahead. Aggie bent over and touched my arm lightly. Isn't she wonderful, she whispered, like some adventurer of old. Balboa discovering the Pacific Ocean, or Joan of Arc leading the Wachucolums. But somehow my enthusiasm was dying. The sun was hot and there were no berry bushes to be seen. Aggie's fairy glades in the woods were filled, not with dancing sprites, but with gnats. I wanted a glass of iced tea and some chicken salad and talcum powder down my neck. The road was bad and the driver seemed to have a joke to himself, for every now and then he chuckled and kept his eyes on the woods on each side as if he expected to see something. His manner puzzled us all. You can trust me not to say anything, ladies, he said at last, but don't you think you're playing it a bit low down? This ain't quite up to contract, is it? You've been drinking, said Tish shortly. After that, he let her alone, but soon after he turned round to me and made another venture. In case you need grub, lady, he said, and them two suitcases don't hold a lot, I'll bring out anything you say, eggs and butter and garden truck at market prices. I'm no philanthropist, he said, glaring at Tish, but I'd be glad to help the girl, and that's the truth. I've been married to this here wife of mine quite a spell, and to my first one for twenty years, and I'm a believer in married life. What girl? I asked. He turned right round in the seat and winked at me. All right, he said. I'll not butt in unless you need me, but I'd like to know one thing. He hasn't got a mother, he says, so I take it you're his aunts. Am I on, ladies? We didn't know what he was talking about, and we said so, but he only smiled. A mile or so from our destination, the horse scared up a rabbit and Tish could hardly be restrained from running after it with a leather thong. Aggie, however, turned a little pale. I'll never be able to eat one, never, she confided to me. Did you see its eyes? Lizzie, do you remember Mr. Wiggins's eyes, and the way he used to move his nose, just like that? At the end of fifteen miles, the driver drew up his horses and took a fresh chew of tobacco. I guess this is about right, he said. That trail there'll take you to the lake. How long do you reckon it'll be before you need some fresh eggs? We are quite able to look after ourselves, said Tish with hauteur, and got out of the wagon. She paid him off at once and sat down on her suitcase until he had driven out of sight. He drove slowly, looking back every now and then, and his last view of us must have been impressive three middle-aged and determined women ready to conquer the wilderness, as Tish put it, and two suitcases. It was as solitary a place as we could have wished. We had not seen a house in ten miles, 
and when the last creak of the wagon had died away, there was a silence that made our city-broke ears fairly ache. Tish waited until the wagon was out of sight. Then she stood up and threw out her arms. At last, she said, free to have a lodge in some vast wilderness, to think, to breathe, to expand. Lizzie, do you suppose if we go back we can get that rabbit? I looked at my watch. It was one o'clock and there was not a berry bush in sight. The drive had made me hungry and I'd have eaten a rabbit that looked like Mr. Wiggins and called me by name if I'd had it. But there was absolutely no use going back for the one we'd seen on our drive. Aggie was opening her suitcase and getting out her costume, which was a blue calico with short sleeves and a shoe-top skirt. "'Where'll I put it on?' she asked, looking about her. "'Right here,' Tish replied. "'For goodness sake, Aggie!' Try to discard false modesty and false shame. We're here to get close to the great beating heart of nature. Take off your switch before you do another thing. None of us looked particularly well, I admit, but it was wonderful how much more comfortable we were. Aggie, who is very thin, discarded a part of her figure, and each of us parted with some pet hypocrisy. But I don't know that I have ever felt better. Only, of course, we were hungry. We packed our things in the suitcases and hid them in a hollow tree, and Tish suggested looking for a spring. She said water was always the first requisite, and fire the second. Fire, said Aggie, what for? We've nothing to cook. Well, that was true enough, so we sent Aggie to look for water, and Tish and I made a rabbit snare. We made a good many snares and got to be rather quick at it. They were all made like this illustration. First Tish, with her book open in front of her, made a running noose out of one of the buckskin thongs. Next, we bent down a sapling and tied the noose to it. And last of all, we bound the free part of the thong round a snag and thus held the sapling down. The idea is that a rabbit, bounding along, presumably with his eyes shut, will stick his head through the noose, kick the line clear of the snag, and be drawn violently into the air. Tish figured that by putting up half a dozen snares, we'd have three or four rabbits at least each day. It was about three when we finished, and we drew off to a safe distance to watch the rabbit bound to his doom, but no rabbits came along. I was very empty and rather faint, but Tish said she had never been able to think so clearly, and that we were all overfed and stodgy, and would be better for fasting. Aggie came in at 3.30 with a hornet sting and no water. She said there were no springs, but that she had found a place where a spring had existed before the dry spell, and there was a naked footprint in the mud, quite fresh. We all went to look at it and Tish was quite positive it was not a man's footprint at all, but only a bear's. A bear, said Aggie. What of it, Tish demanded. The young woodsman says that no bear attacks a human unless he is hungry, and at this time of the year with the woods full of food, hmm, I could not restrain myself. I wish you would show me a little of it. 
if no rabbit with acute melancholia comes along to commit suicide by hanging on that gallows of yours, I think we'll starve to death. There will be a rabbit, Tish said tersely, and we started back to the snare. I was never so astonished in my life. There was a rabbit. It seems we had struck a runway without knowing it, although Tish said afterward that she had recognized it at once from the rabbit tracks. Anyhow, whether it died of design or curiosity, our supper was kicking at the top of the sapling, and Tish pretended to be calm and to have known all along that we'd get one, but it was not dead. We got it down somehow or other, and I held it by the ears while it kicked and scratched. I was hungry enough to have eaten it alive, but Aggie began to cry. You'll be murderers, nothing else, she wailed. Look at this little white tail and pitiful baby eyes. Good gracious, Aggie, Tish snapped. Get a knife and cut its throat while I make a fire. If it's any help to you, we're not going to eat either its little white tail or its pitiful baby eyes. As a matter of fact, Aggie wouldn't touch the rabbit, and I did not care much about it myself. I do not like to kill things. My aunt Sarah Mackintosh once killed a white hen that lived twenty minutes without its head. Two weeks later she dreamed that that same hen, without a head, was sitting on the footboard of the bed, and the next day she got word that her cousin's husband in Sacramento had died of the hiccups. It ended with Tish giving me the fire-making materials and stalking off into the woods with the rabbit in one hand and the knife in the other. Tish is nothing if not thorough, but she seemed to me inconsistent. She brought blankets and a canvas teepee and sandals and an aluminum kettle, but she disdained matches. I rubbed with that silly drill and a sort of bow arrangement until my wrists ached, but I did not get even a spark of fire. When Tish came back with the rabbit, there was no fire, and Aggie had taken out her watch crystal and was holding it in the sun over a pile of leaves. Tish got out the young woodsman from the suitcase. It seems I had followed cuts one and two, but had neglected cut three, which is... Hold the left wrist against the left shin and the left foot on the fire block. I had got my feet mixed and was trying to hold my left wrist against my right shin, which is exceedingly difficult. Tish got a fire in 14 minutes and 31 seconds by Aggie's watch and had to wear a bandage on her hand for a week. But we had a fire. We cooked the rabbit, which proved to be much older than Aggie had thought, and ate what we could. Personally, I am not fond of rabbit, and our enjoyment was rather chastened by the fear that some mushrooms Tish had collected and added to the stew were toadstools incognito. To make things worse, Aggie saw some goldenrod nearby and began to sneeze. It was after five o'clock, but it seemed wisest to move on toward the lake. Even if we don't make it, said Tish, we'll be on our way, and while that bear is likely harmless, we needn't thrust temptation in his way. We carried the fire with us in the kettle, and we took turns with the teepee, which was heavy. Our suitcases with our city clothes in them we hid in a hollow tree, 
and one after the other with Aggie last we started on. The trail, which was a sort of wide wagon road at first, became a footpath. As we went on, even that disappeared at times under fallen leaves. Once we lost it entirely and Aggie, falling over a hidden root, stilled the fire. She became exceedingly disagreeable at about that time, said she was sure Tish's mushrooms were toadstools because she felt very queer and suddenly gave a yell and said she had seen something moving in the bushes. We all looked and the bushes were moving. End of section 11